I trust that's the desire of each of our hearts, that we would be all that God would want us to be, which is to be all of that. <clears throat> Over lunch, I, I enjoyed fellowship. My plan was to eat uh, a, a little bit of lunch and eat it quick and come back and kind of get situated for the afternoon. And the next thing I knew, it was one o'clock. And I didn't have the excuse that there's no clocks for me to watch. So here I am, and I have not uh, paid attention to if we had two Bible readers volunteer for the Bible reading this afternoon. Are there two Bible readers ready? Or are there two volunteers? I'll, I'll look on the piano here, see what we have. We have session three. Um, I don't see names at the top, but if you feel in your heart... Your name is at the top of this page. Why don't you come up? And I'm going to ask my good friend, Brother Paul Good, who's been Nathan and Paul and Tommy Troyer and myself have had some wonderful prayer times together over the last two years. I'm going to ask Brother Paul if he will have a prayer after the reading of this scripture. So uh, who would like to be the, the two Bible readers? Uh, come on up here and, uh, as well as Brother Paul. And uh, if you have your Bible... Turn to, uh, it's First John chapter 3. We're going to be talking about God's love and also our love. And so um, everybody turn in their Bibles except the uh, two of you that are going to read. Your, your Bibles are up here. So I'm going to sit down in faith. Uh, yes, there's Friedrich. And uh, who are you? Grant. Great. Thank you, Grant. Grant Miller, right? Yeah. You used to go to church with your grandfather in South Carolina. <laughs> All right, everybody, everybody has their Bible. And Brother Paul, after the reading of the scripture, so Friedrich, if you want to do the, the top, and then you'll, you'll start where the line is. And we'll all follow along in uh, 1 John 3. 1 John 3. See what, God the, see what great love the Father has, has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. 
Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's command, commands lives in him, and he in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he, loves, that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we, we're here this, this afternoon, Lord, and we acknowledge that you're here. And Lord, we tremble here before your word. Lord, we know that you have so much better for us than what, <clears throat> what Satan would have for us, Lord. And Lord, we pray you would just teach us through Brother Dan that you would give him a, a clear understanding of your scripture here, Lord. Teach us how to abide in you and how to, <clears throat> how just to commit our lives to you, Lord, that we can have that eternal life both now and forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you, mother, said little John. Then forgetting his work, his cap went on, and he was off to the garden swing, leaving his mother the wood to bring. I love you, mother, said Rosie now. I love you better than tongue can tell. Then she teased and pouted, half full the day, till her mother was glad when she went out to play. I love you, mother, said little Fran. Today I'll help you all I can. How glad I am that school doesn't keep. So she rocked the babe till he fell asleep. Then stepping softly she took the broom and swept the floor and dusted the room. Busy and happy all day was she, helpful and happy as a child could be. I love you, mother, again they said, three little children going off to bed. How do you think that mother guessed which of them really loved her best? That's an old poem about... Three children, all loving their mother, and one of the three demonstrating it by her action. And this, this uh, scripture, 1 John 3, talks about not only God's love for us, but also our love for him. And how we demonstrate, or don't demonstrate, that love for, for him. One thing, sure, we will never come close to loving God in a way he's loved us. And yet, as we focus on his love and we think about it, which is what we want to do this afternoon, think about God's love for us, I think it helps us in our love toward him and our love toward others. I'd like to talk about three loves that I see here in this chapter, and there may be more, but there's the love of God through Christ to us. There's the love that we have to Christ and God. And then there's the love that we have toward others. Verse 1 starts out, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That's the first love, the love of the Father toward us. 
<clears throat> Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we were far away from what we should be, even before we had a desire in our hearts to be a Christian, God was already moving in our behalf and doing things in our behalf. That's pretty amazing. And he was, through his Holy Spirit, orchestrating the circumstances in each of our lives. He was choosing that we were going to be born such and such a date to such and such a family and such and such a place. And some of you, like me, were carried to Sunday school from when you were very young. Maybe because God knew that if that didn't happen, we wouldn't have ever come to him. I'm not sure. But God in his wisdom made a bunch of choices about us uh, that placed us where we were. Of course, all of us were born into sinful families, even if we went to Sunday school. Uh, I could tell you a lot of sins about my grandparents and my parents and about myself. But that wouldn't bless anybody. In fact, I'm ashamed of my sins and of my family. I don't know if you all are ashamed of your family, but we should be. Because our earthly family is a shameful family. But the heavenly family that we can be born into is a family to be happy about and to brag about. He that boasts, let him boast in the Lord. So let's think about the Lord and what he's done with his great love. He's lavished this love on us. He just like poured his love on us. And he said, not only are you a sinner that I'm going to forgive, but I'm going to bring you in and make you part of my family. We should be called part of his family. That's pretty amazing. You know, in England, there's a royal family, and they have extra money and all these servants and this and that, and they're part of the royal family. But as a believer, we are part of the greatest royal family of all time. God, who owns everything, is our heavenly Father, and we are his children. And that makes us really special. I was thinking that this might be a time that I should ask you to look at the person next to you and say, I'm really special. Uh, but some of you might be awkward with that, or you could look at them and say, you're really special. Maybe we should just have a little time of sharing here. <laughs> we are all really special because we are created by God with a plan to be part of his royal family. He has a plan for us. Jeremiah is a wonderful Old Testament scripture where it says, God said, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has a, a plan for each of our lives. And for all of us, it's the same in that he wants us to be part of his royal family. He wants us to, to live a life above sin, not drugged down in the darkness of our sins, but a life of righteousness, a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> a life that's fruitful with the fruits of the Spirit that flows out to other people and draws them to the Savior. But yet he has specific things for each of us. And I think one of the things I was supposed to do this weekend was to be here and to uh, try to share these good words with you because uh, these are good words. And I'm so glad that the, the, the Holy Spirit led Apostle John to write this little letter because it is really a neat, neat letter. And this verse is one of the gems. See the great love that the Father has toward you, toward us. 
that we should be part of his family. When we think about that, uh, it helps us put in perspective the world that is serving Satan. Hasn't made the choice yet to follow God. They're not going to understand us. In fact, at times we may even feel hatred or persecution from them. So don't be surprised. That's the last part of the verse. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know him. So don't be surprised if the world hate you, Jesus said. The world hated me. The world will hate you. Dear friends, verse 2, now we are the children of God. But it's even going to get better. Because when he appears, when Jesus comes back, things are even going to be better for us than they are now. All who have this hope, the hope of seeing Christ come back, purify themselves just as he is pure. The hope of the Lord's return. How many of you think the Lord is going to come back in, in our lifetime? I almost said your lifetime. Uh, I'm probably 30 years older than most of you. Um, you think the Lord's going to come back in our lifetime? I don't know. When I was a, a boy hearing sermons on prophecy, I thought sure from the way some of the sermons went that, that the Lord would return before I ever got my driver's license. That was one of my goals at age 16, to get a driver's license. I don't know if anybody had that goal, or maybe some of you are still looking forward to that. We have any 14, 15-year-olds here? So a driver's license goal is important, but if the Lord came back, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. And I thought it might be nice someday to get married. And thought, well, if the Lord comes back, that wouldn't happen. And some years later, a man, I think from Tennessee, wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Return in 1988. And rumor had it, I'm not, it may have been true, that one of the couples that we went to church with uh, actually got married a little bit quicker I think they got married December of 1987, just in case this fella had figured out the math right. But he didn't come then, because the Lord is on his own timetable. Don't worry about people that predict, you know, the Lord's coming at a certain time. I thought about doing a, a, a session on the Lord's return, because it is mentioned here. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's going to be an exciting day when the Lord returns. Uh, there's been other people, many, many, many predictions through the centuries of when the Lord would return. And even those who aren't Christian, there's the, is it the Mayan calendar in December? They calculate at the end of the world was coming. Well, if we know Jesus and we're part of his family, we don't have to worry about what other people are saying about his timetable, even those who profess to be Christians. Uh, God has his plan. I was actually in my 20s when I came across a verse in Peter that explained why the Lord hadn't come when I was a boy or a teenager. Because I think the signs of the time were all there. That he could have came, but he didn't. And in Peter, some of you know what verse I'm thinking about, but I didn't really find it till I was in my 20s, at least that it made sense. Because Peter was writing about their scoffers that say, oh yeah, you Christians have been talking about the Lord coming back. He hasn't come back. Things are going to keep going just the way they are. All things continue as they were from the beginning. And then Peter said, they're ignorant of the fact that God's timetable is different than man's timetable. 
a thousand years as one day to the Lord. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't look at time the way we do. And they're ignorant of this fact that he is not, this is the part that clicked in my head when I was reading this in my 20s. All of a sudden I realized this is why he didn't come back in the 1970s or the 1980s. It's because they are ignorant of the fact that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So the Lord is delaying his return, if I understand Peter's message, because he is wanting more people saved. He is wanting more Christians to give their testimony, to share the love of Jesus with others. Not only in word. We had some good testimonies here this morning, didn't we? Eric and Ryan, you did good. That was great. But this chapter says it's not just in word, but it's also indeed showing the love of Jesus to others. So we're on the first love, that is the love of the Father toward us. And as we think about that, it should motivate us to love him more. It should motivate us also to purify ourselves. Every person who has this hope, the hope of the Lord's return, purifieth himself. So if, the, if I knew, if we knew the Lord would return tomorrow... Would we act any different today? He may return tomorrow. If we knew he was coming back in a week, would it change what we do next week? He could come back next week. And he's interested in how we live now. So as we focus and we think about the Lord's return, it helps us in our hearts to be more loving, to be more pure, to be more what he wants us to be. So the love of the Father is a great love. It's beyond our words, really. The height, the breadth, the depth, the width of the love of God. In fact, Paul writes somewhere, it passes knowledge. It's beyond words. So how do we talk about something that's beyond words? How do we think about something that's beyond our thoughts? But we can. We can understand God's love in a measure, in a small measure, and someday, when we're with him, we'll understand it more. There's another verse that says, In the ages to come, he will show us the exceeding greatness of his love toward us through Jesus Christ. Well, it's really through Jesus that we best understand God's love in the limited way we understand it. It's through what Jesus did in coming from heaven down to this sin-cursed earth. Verse 16. We just heard that one, didn't we? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. I recently got a um, devotional book by Billy Graham that has a devotional on each day. And here was uh, something he wrote about the love of Jesus Christ on us. It was love that enabled Jesus Christ to become poor so that we, through his poverty, might be rich. It was love, divine love, that made him endure the cross, despising the shame, and made him endure the contradiction of sinners against himself. It was love that restrained him when he was falsely accused of blasphemy and was led to Golgotha to die with common thieves, he raised not a hand against his enemies. It was nothing but love 
that kept him from calling twelve legions of angels to come to his defense. It was love that made him, in a moment of agonizing pain, pause and give life to a repentant sinner who cried, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. It was love that after every known torture devised by degenerate man that was heaped upon him, Jesus lifted his voice and prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Oh, the great love of the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. I think thinking about, I believe that thinking about the love of God to us through Jesus will help us with these other loves. The first love is the love of the Father. The second one is our love to the Father. We love Him because He first loved us. John 4, 19. Now there are some bad loves and there uh, if you page back or flip back in your electronic Bible I know some of you have electronic Bibles to uh, 1 John 2.15 1 John 2.15 uh, is a section of scripture about the love of the Father but it's in contrast to this bad love 1 John 2.15 through 17 Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. This is a troublesome subject for me because within my heart, I certainly struggle regularly with these, uh, with this love for the world. And there's three, there's three aspects as it's broken down here: the lust of the flesh, that has to do with things that feel good; uh, the lust of the eyes, that has to do with things that look good; and the pride of life, which has to do with kind of with uh, looking good or or being important. And probably Jesus, with his three temptations, illustrates these three loves very, very well. You know, the first temptation that Jesus had was, was a physical hunger. The devil said, why don't you, if you're really the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And he was very hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. And so naturally and physically, he, I'm sure, was tempted to do this. And there's nothing wrong with eating bread. But it is wrong to listen to the devil. And so Jesus... Answered Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He was going to focus on God instead of Satan's suggestions. And then the second temptation has to do perhaps with this uh, lust of the eyes or look at me. And that one, Satan took Jesus to a high pinnacle of the temple and said, be Superman, fly off and everybody will see you and They'll realize how great you are. Plus there's scripture. Jesus had quoted scripture to him. Satan knows some scripture too. So be careful with scripture. It can be misused. What scripture did he use? Wasn't it from Psalms? A very good scripture. God will give his angels charge over you and protect you. They'll be your parachute. You'll go down just fine. You won't hit your foot against. You won't break your ankle or hurt yourself. And Jesus again said, no, I'm not listening to you, Satan. 
And there's times we think about doing things just for show. It's so easy for us, isn't it? So easy for us to fail in these areas. And then the third was Jesus was taken to a high mountain. And Satan said, see all the world from here? If you just worship me, I'll give it all to you. And he was basically saying, don't go to the cross. Don't follow the Father's plan of giving your life for the world. Listen to me and my plan. This, this, this is an easier way. And so as, we, as I think about, as I was studying and thinking about the love of the Father, we, we want to love God for all he's done for us, but we have this competing love. Our love for the world, and really it has to do with love for self, doesn't it? Because our self likes to feel good, likes to look good, likes to get attention. And we need to be able, with God's help, to die to ourselves. In fact, Jesus said, If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. In other words, be willing to die to himself and follow me. Another place he said, he that loveth his life shall lose it, but he that's willing to give up his life for my sake will find it. It's one of the paradoxes of being a Christian. By giving our life to Christ, we actually find our life. And by being willing to die, we actually rise up and live. So the love of the Father through Jesus toward us that's verse 16, the first part. This is how we know the, what love is. Jesus laid his life down for us. And then the second part of that verse brings us to our third love. And this may be as hard as, as loving the Father rather than loving the world. And that is loving other people. I don't know if you struggle with other people, but I struggle a lot with other people. And in what I've observed... I think some other people sometimes struggle with other people too. I get to hear a lot of stories as a family doctor and often there's a, a lot of stress in families. And so they come with their physical things but if I ask, well, are you having a lot of stress in your life? I've heard so many stories and usually it has to do with other people. My children, my parents, my boss at work, my school teacher you know I'm working so hard but they're just they just have it out for me and maybe they do because we aren't always kind to each other are we we all have been hurt by others every one of us we could we could go down the line and each person here could tell the stories of your biggest hurts from other people we all have been hurt by other people and if we focus on that we will turn into emotional basket cases. I think there's a medical code for emotional basket cases. We really will. What has been more helpful to me in this situation is to realize not only have other people hurt me, but I have deeply hurt other people. And in our little minds, we don't like to think about how much we've hurt other people. I hurt my brothers and sisters. I hurt my parents. And so, I need forgiveness. They need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. In fact, forgiveness may be one of the keys, in, in it probably is a key, if not the key, in healthy human relationships, to live with a forgiving attitude toward other people. 
Diane and I have moved around a number of times in our uh, almost 28 years of marriage. And I think, uh, I think we've been, or since I've been a child at least, I've been at uh, 11 different churches. And the Bethel Mennonite Church is such a wonderful church to be at. And we've, we've enjoyed it. And the other churches, the other 10 churches, each church was a blessing to me. As I look back and as I get older, I realize what a blessing each of these churches were. I think it was on church eight or nine maybe. When I, real, I just finally realized something, I'll tell you so maybe it'll save you a number of decades of grief, uh, that the problem at the, each church was actually the same. The biggest problem, there was different, different problems at each church. And even the Bethel church is wonderful. It's not 100% perfect because there's problems there. At least since we've moved here, it has been. Because the biggest problem at every church was me and my attitudes toward others. And so if, you, if you're a little unhappy with your present church situation, I just encourage you today to uh, switch your focus a little from off of the uh, people around you and their problems and start praying for them and start praying for yourself and your own problems and your own attitude toward others because you young people can turn a church around in, in more ways than you realize as you pray for the other people in your church and you pray for yourselves. You can be such an example of forgiveness and love and outreach and blessing and so I just want to encourage you that. I wasn't in my notes, but I'll throw it in for free here. To uh, look at, look, we need to look at ourselves. And so what, what are we on? The third, the third love, which is love for others. This is so hard for us to do. In fact, John recognizes this in his letter. He says, there's people, some of you are saying, I love God. But he said, you're walking in darkness because you're not loving your brothers and sisters. And if you don't love your brothers and sisters, then you're really not loving God. And so, this is a, a tough thing for, for me to study, but I'll tell you, I, I've gotten some help through Jesus. Jesus helping me. So I want to love others the way he loved me, and how can I do that? How can I overcome this evil love that I have for myself and for the world? This love for myself which will destroy me and destroy others. How can I get help? John, can you help us? John would probably say, I can't. But he can. There is help from Jesus. Uh, let's take a sneak preview at some uh, scripture that we're going to look at. Again, or we're going to at least hear tomorrow. Chapter 5, verse 1. I think we will wrap up with this scripture. I was, I was reading John 5, 1 through 5, and I thought, wow, this is a powerful section that goes with this whole section of love. Where we are to love God, and we're to love others. And we're to not love the world. John, 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, 
This is love for God to keep his commands and his commandments are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith. So how am I going to overcome this love for the world? It's love for myself. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in the indwelling Christ. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Of all of Christ's commands, they can be boiled down, John is telling us, into two. One is to believe on him, to love, love God and believe on Jesus. And the other is to love others. In fact, Jesus one time was asked the question, wasn't he? Of the, all the Old Testament commandments, which are the greatest ones? And Jesus said, well, there's actually two. Love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your whole being. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On this hang the whole law and the prophets, Jesus said. So we can boil down the whole Ten Commandments into those two. Because if you think about the Ten Commandments, not having other gods other than God, not making idols. Um, and then on to the human relationship uh, ones of honoring your parents and honoring others by not stealing, killing, committing adultery. And the last one I think is coveting, which often covetousness, wanting something that is not ours, is often a root sin uh, with the others. But if we love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love others, as much as we love ourselves, it's quite a lot. And we can't do those two things without God helping us. And he helps us by giving us the new birth when we exercise saving faith in Jesus Christ. He changes us. The Holy Spirit moves in and gives us the power to live a new and a different and a fully alive life. Saving faith has at least three elements. I heard a little topic on this by John Dressler. I don't know if he's still living, but it was about three years ago. He's an elderly man now, and he was talking on saving faith. He said there's at least three elements to it. The first element has to do with knowledge. In our mind, we, we learn the facts of the gospel, that we are a sinner, that God loves us, that he sent his son to die for us. So saving faith includes a knowledge of the plan of salvation. Secondly, it includes an agreement. We agree with God. I am a sinner. I do need a savior. The only one who can save me is Jesus. And the third part is actually a surrender where we, in our heart, in our mind, we surrender to God and say, God, I, I agree with you and I'm giving my whole life to you. In sorrow for my sin, I'm turning from my sin, I'm turning to you. I can't get away from these sins, but I believe your, your word says you will help me. You will forgive these sins, you will cleanse these sins, and you'll give me power to live a new life and a different life. I can't do it, but I believe and I throw my whole self on you. And so saving faith according to John Dressler, includes at least those three things. 
And then D.L. Moody, I was just recently reading, he used to talk about three kinds of faith. And they all had to do with boats and the ocean. He said there's a struggling faith where someone's out in the water, just treading water and almost drowning. Maybe that describes me and some of us here. There's also a clinging faith where we're on the side of the lifeboat, but we're still in the water, but we're clinging onto the boat. That's maybe a little better than struggling faith. And then he said what God really wants for all of us is to move from struggling faith and clinging faith to resting faith where we're in the boat just resting in Jesus. And hopefully with enough energy maybe we can reach out a hand to somebody who's clinging to the side or throw out a, a rope to someone who's struggling. And that's part of the exciting thing about youth rally is here's a whole group of young people who if the Lord tarries and you live a normal life, you'll have years ahead to rest in Jesus and to be fruitful for him, reaching out to others. So God bless you. You've been a great group to talk to. And I just wish you the Lord's richest blessing. If anyone is here who is not saved or if you're struggling, please uh, talk to some of the other youth who you know are saved. And let them pray for you and pray with you. Uh, pastor Rich and the other pastors I know would be happy to, to uh, talk to you. It's so good to have a number of the older people from church here. And from Hillsville, I think we have at least two uh, younger or middle-aged uh, people along. I'm sure they'd be glad to talk with you and pray with you. So I just wish you the best as you love God and love others, it is good to serve Jesus. I'm going to turn it back to uh, Nathan.